Bloody Elbow presents the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow fight analysts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 6th round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host tonight, Dane Fox, stepping in for Eddie Mercado, who is once, for, for once, not shipwrecked. Uh, but is instead uh, found himself uh, found his way to karate combat for some. Uh, I don't even. I, I was gonna say cage side seats, and I was gonna be like, no, ringside, like wall side seats. I guess is the uh, karate combat thing. So he's uh, he's against the wall over at karate combat, watching some uh, high level pseudo shiny pants kickbox kickboxing action. Uh, but Dane, thank you very much for joining us while we talk um, talk about this uh, UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, with a headliner between women's strawweights Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, always a pleasure to be able to uh, come on here, join you, uh, whether it's you or you, Zane, or, or Eddie. I'm happy to be here. But uh, yeah, the uh, main event, uh, Mackenzie Dern and Angela Hill. Um, I think we all expected it to be a fun fight, but uh, sure. I, I don't think we got what we expected. No, absolutely but, not. I, I, but that's a good way. That's a good. Yes, way. in a in a very good way. I, I came into this very much on the the vivisection end of it, and I think I I read your preview too. I believe, and I think you had the same feeling on it, which was Dern gets the submission early, or this fight gets very hard for her. And uh, we got, I mean, we started out getting exactly what we thought, which is that Angela Hill, for all of the improvements she's made over the years, just cannot stay out of the clinch with people. And because she's not the most physical fighter in the world, getting clinched up for her is often just inevitably a path to getting taken down by good wrestlers and grapplers. And even... Dern may not be the best wrestler out there, but she's she's shown over the years that she's fully capable of dragging somebody into her game. And so we get that fight. We get Dern on the floor early. And we get the sub we get Dern with the arm bar at the end of round one. And it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is it. Here it is. Here's that golden moment. Dern has everything she wants right now. And she doesn't get it. And then we get round two. And I think, you know, still for you and me, it feels like the exact same kind of track. We're, we're seeing Dern do a better job hurting Hill in the stand-up. But round two comes out around and Hill is able to slow the pace down, take a little of the sting out of uh, uh, Mackenzie Dern, and they spend the whole round in the clinch. Dern doesn't really threaten with anything. 
And he, you know, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, I might have given that round to Hill even. Did we just see the turning point where Hill starts to win this fight? That was my thought. Yep. And then round three comes, and Hill just or Dern just annihilates her with a with a step knee standing. And from that point, this this fight was just all bad news all the way through for Hill. Yeah, no, yeah. no other way. Hill Hill was was broken after that. Like, yeah, I don't mean that she she gave up or anything like that. You just see it in her fight that that she was in her fight in her face. Yeah, that she was drowning. She. She knew that she uh, had gotten dragged into the fight that Dern wanted. And at that point, she, she didn't seem to know how to get back to, to doing what she needed to do, in part because after that third round, she needed a finish. Yeah, and, I mean, she just got seriously hurt, too. It was yeah. one of those things where she didn't... Hill has an amazing chin, clearly. Uh, I don't... I still think that she's never been knocked out, in fact... She's been yep. subbed by Marcos and Nama Yunus, and I think that's it. And once on tough by Esparza. That's right. And, you know, she's got an amazing chin, and this showed that again. But by the time the end of the third round came around, she was hurt bad enough that she just, everything else after that was just kind of running on instinct. Yep. Doing the best she could to stay alive, not get absolutely overwhelmed. And she did admirably to that. She saw the final bell, but, you know, this is this is a, an assertion of the kind of... This, this is a clear assertion for anybody who was kind of wondering. And I think maybe you w- were, and I know I certainly was, is I you know it's kind of like is Dern really a top five or top ten fighter, or is she a fighter who has a couple of amazing areas that she can get to, has a couple of really cool tricks she can do, but now that everybody's sussed that out, her game's just not going to work anymore. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. it was it was worth wondering that and. The way she dominated Hill out here, just the the level of physical dominance, because it, it wasn't a pretty technical show. It wasn't like Dern had a bunch of new sharp striking techniques she showed off. But the level of physical dominance she showed is a reminder of like, no, she's really actually, she's a legit tier above a lot of women in that division, purely for physical skill. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and previously with like there wasn't any technical improvements with her striking. She she looked very much the same in that sense, but she just fought with a mean streak that hasn't been seen in her before. That she was determined that she was going to hurt Hill, and she she did in the worst way that Hill has ever been hurt in a fight before. And so I, I, you know, I, I hate to to say, hey, maybe uh, uh, Dern's divorce is good for her fight career, because <laughs> you know I've I've been divorced myself. It is no fun, but I, I can also see where um, where it, it can be a positive if you're looking to hurt somebody because it does add a lot of rage fuel. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, okay, so maybe you can channel that 
that's you, you you can see where Darren was feeling there. I, I saw a terrible, terrible comment on Twitter that uh it was just Angela Hill should get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't want I don't wish that on anybody. No, no. Yeah. yeah. It it I, I, I mean Divorced Dern is now officially she is part of the lexicon of of uh you know imaginary uh great MMA fighters. If she can follow it up with another uh, performance along those lines, then yeah, I, I think we can officially refer to it that way. So yeah, yeah. So I no, it's the the fire was there and the cardio was there, albeit Dern had a lot of this fight her own way but even when she's had fights her own way in the past and hasn't gotten what she wanted out of them she slowed down and this was five rounds of Dern absolutely you know she when she was in the the post fight interview she looked fresh you know she's getting her belt put on and she's smiling and she's happy and she's just having a chat and she did not look winded at all so if this has lit that kind of fire under her to be that kind of powerful and aggressive and still be as dangerous as she can be on the ground for five rounds. And that'll, you know, that'll always make her a difficult fight to handle because it's not like women's strawweight is full of knockout artists. No, it's not a division known for its power. So, you know, she, she can find a lot of room if she's just going to be around for five rounds to be da- a dangerous customer. I, I think a big part of it was uh, so much of it was spent on the ground. And yeah. we, we all know that Dern has spent basically her entire life grappling and, and practicing jujitsu, all that fun stuff. So it's second nature for her to be able to have that type of fight, whereas yeah. Hill is used to the striking aspect. And I think that's another part of the reason why Hill was just so gassed by the end. She's, she's not used to all the, the wrestling and the grappling. And, you know, when you're fighting for your life to, to prevent that arm bar, you know, you're, you're panicking, you're, you're not staying calm. It, it was a perfect recipe for Hilda to, to just gas herself down the stretch. And, and that's yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, too, I just, she got hurt really bad when you're getting really badly hurt, you're going to have yeah. adrenaline dump. You're going to have panic. There's, you know, there's nothing I would take away from Hill getting tired in this fight, but yeah, it may oh. be that, uh, during getting to spend so much of it grappling and not even just grappling, but also just when it was standing clinched up, you know, I, I think for, for Dern, she is a fighter that is going to always be much more comfortable when she can have a limb connected to her opponent. Yep. Yep. When so, she got her on yep. Yeah. So if for all those reasons, maybe Dern doesn't have magic fifth round cardio now, but she certainly looked great in this fight and it did not look like it physically taxed her. Yeah. So it'll be fascinating to see where she can go forward from here. The big, unfortunately, the big thing that the UFC did that I wish they could have just waited. All they had to do was wait like three days and we could have done this is that they just announced Tatiana Suarez versus Verna Jandaroba. Yeah. And all you had to do was wait three days and we could have had Mackenzie Dern versus Tatiana Suarez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, two two physical forces uh, 
at strawweight that that prefer the ground game, I it would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, that would have been a, a hell of a lot of fun. I would love to see that fight. Uh, Dern, though, she had a great call out of Rose Namajunas. Uh, Namajunas has been out for a while. She, I know she's doing the ADCCs here, or she actually just did, I think, mm-hmm. an ADCC trials event. So she's working on her grappling, and she's always been a good grappler, so that would be a fun fight, too. Um, really, just any fight in the top top 10, top 5 kind of area. Well, Dern has fought so many of them uh, within that that lexicon that it, to me it, Rose made the most sense otherwise yeah. it's what uh, she hasn't fought Jessica Andrade Carlos Parza is coming off a loss but she's pregnant though oh yeah that's right I forgot about that um, yeah she's she lost to Yan Zhanan she asked for that rematch but that doesn't make a lot of sense not at all uh, yeah, she could fight Jessica Andrade. I mean, I would, I would absolutely love to watch that fight. I'd, I'd rather see uh, Rose. I think that's sure. more intriguing. But, but I'd yeah. be fine with Andrade as well. Yeah. So, there are there are good bouts for her. But the the Tatiana Suarez fight is the one that I really wanted to see. And it's not like they even booked that fight for any time soon. It's booked for August. Suarez versus Janjaroba. So, they really could have just. Waited the extra days and booked this instead, but oh well. I think, I think they were trying to overwhelm uh, uh, the PFL's announcement with Francis. So yeah, they were. I know. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> All right, uh, that brings us to our co-main event: a middleweight bout, Anthony Hernandez, Edmund Shabazian, and if you, if we didn't necessarily predict the total plot arc of Dern Hill and how that fight was going to look by the end. I think Nostradamus could have predicted Anthony Hernandez versus Ed- Edmund Shabazian, you know, 2000 years ago <laughs> and would have had it absolutely spot on. This is, this was the absolutely most entirely predictable version of this matchup we could have ever gotten. Edmund Shabazian comes out, immediately starts lighting up Anthony Hernandez on the feet because Hernandez's striking is all just about pace and pressure and not technique at all. And then Hernandez starts to tangle with him, starts to scramble with him, starts to clinch with him and drag him, not even fully to the mat, but just drag on him and the pace just inch by inch centimeter by centimeter starts to break Shabazian. Yeah, no, it was extremely methodical on uh, the part of Hernandez. And what was impressive about it was uh, Shabazian was teeing off on him for the first two or three minutes, landed some good shots, uh, uh, left us questioning whether or not Hernandez was hurt from some of them. Uh, but he, he maintained his poker face, did not panic. Knew Threw up the little he, peace sign. Yeah. Knew, knew what the game plan was. Knew that he had the survival early storm. Did that and, and didn't, didn't deviate an inch from what he was supposed to do. And it turned out a, a beautiful performance from him. Uh, resulting yeah. in just wearing down uh, Shabazian, like you said, little by little, inch by inch. And in the end, uh, Shabazian uh, broke. 
Yeah, it's totally broken. And I, I feel terrible for Shabazzian seeing this too, because, you know, I'm saying it, we're saying it. It was all over Twitter after the fight happened. People are like, oh my God, this keep hap- keeps happening to this guy. Like, why can't he fix this problem? This, you know, and in our terms, we're saying like, oh, this is really predictable that this would happen. But I feel terrible for him because, like, having had this problem against Nasuddin Imavov and Derek Brunson and uh, Jack Hermanson in the past, like, yeah, that all sucked, but... Shabazian has improved. I would even say he probably didn't break as quickly as he would have in those fights in this fight. I agree. But, 100%. But this was the worst way to test that improvement. Yes. Because Anthony Hernandez, I mean, he's not as technical. He's not as physically, you know, uh, overwhelming as somebody like Derek Brunson. He's not as technically diverse as somebody like Jack Hermanson. He's not as huge for the division as somebody like Nasruddin Imavov. But if you're going to have that kind of problem, Anthony Hernandez is far more relentless and unbreakable and far more of a pace fighter than any of those men. He is absolutely the worst kind of, like, I just don't, I don't know that there's any level that Shabazzian could improve his men, his mental fitness and his cardio that would have prepared him for this fight if he couldn't finish it in the first couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just a, a terrible stylistic contest for him. Yeah. Like, I, I'm with you. As I was watching him through the first round, I'm like, oh, wow, he, he's actually fighting measured. He's uh, putting his jab on the... Uh, on, uh, why, I already forgot his name, Hernandez. <laughs> and uh, he even landed the jab a couple of times early in the second round. He was looking mm-hmm. solid there for a little bit. Uh, but just like you said, Hernandez was a terrible stylistic matchup for him. And yeah. so it, it basically negates the improvements that he's made. And, you know, Twitter's one of the worst places in the world, if not the worst place in the world. And he's been getting hammered for it. And I, I think it's unfair to him as well. Yeah, it's it's just, I mean, it is one of those things though, that you really want to then turn back around to his management and be like, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you thinking with this kid? He needs to be built up. You can fight other fights at this level. There are other men in the middleweight division who will test him. It does not, ha- it should not be like Imavov Lungiambula who won't test him at all in this kind of fight. And then this, this is just, you know, you're, you're just yo-yoing between extremes at that point. And if, you know, I think, I, I think I'm pretty sure I remember Shabazian's been seeing a sports psychologist. If he's not, he certainly needs one now, <laughs> but no matter like, it, you know, if you've got a fighter who is going to be struggling with confidence issues, and I'm sure he is at this point, this is going to be, th- this is probably going to feel like a pretty devastating loss. Yeah. Because it is just going to feel like I worked really hard to break myself of these habits and to break myself, of get get myself out of this dark place. You know, he goes to the GSP dark place. 
I worked really hard to get myself out of this dark place. And I, this person just put me right back in there. And there was nothing I could do about it. And it's just, you know, you, you want to turn to him and be like, no, 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 really. You were never going to win this fight. You had three minutes to win it. And once those three minutes were up, sorry. Like, the sport, the sport has matchups. This one was not for you. And don't tr- don't take it personally. But whatever is going forward, he needs he needs somebody to really you know be like, hey, let's actually try to get this kid a few reasonable matchups, not just one drop way all from from the high end of the division all the way to the bottom, and then back straight into the middle and or the upper. I mean, at this point, I want to see Anthony Hernandez, you know, like. Uh, Paul Craig has a fight coming up with Andre Muniz. Mm-hmm. I want to see Anthony Hernandez against the winner of that fight. Brendan Allen has a fight with Bruno Silva. I want to see Anthony Hernandez against the winner of that fight. Uh, hell, Chris Curtis has a fight with Nasuddin Imovov. Yeah, I want to see Anthony Hernandez against the winner of this fight. I want to see him in the top, at the edges of the top 15, making that leap. Like I don't, I don't even hate the idea of him uh, fighting for Manson. You know, once for Manson yeah. healed up. Uh, yeah. Although, although the, there is one other obvious fight though that he could take, and I would love to see it. And that would be Kyle Bahio. Oh, yeah. You know, and I had actually even thought about that earlier, and for whatever reason, I didn't think of it now. But yes, I, yeah. I agree with you one hundred percent on that. Either way. And Bahia's right in that same spot where he's yeah. clearly shooting up the division. So yeah, yeah. he's not in the top fifteen, but you could make a strong case for him being there as anybody else at the bottom there. Exactly. So no matter what it is, I'm ready to see Hernandez in those kinds of fights. Agreed. And uh for Shabazian just you know, get him in there with uh the um Get him in there with Mark Andre Barrio, or uh, you know, Hadolfo Vieira against uh, Edmund Shabazian would be a fascinating clash of potential. Where uh, you know, uh, yeah, Chidi and Jaquani is the name that I was thinking. Sure, Chidi and Jaquani or uh, uh, Armin Petrosian. Yeah, like, yeah, that'd be fun. You know, there are a ton of fights out there that would test him without being the most relentless fighter in the middleweight division. Yeah, and he's still only 25, so everybody that wants to crap on him, you know, it's like the kid's still got plenty of time. The the problem is don't break him mentally before he enters his physical. You you just don't want him to get into the Jordan Mean place, which he very easily could be, where you're looking at him and you're like, wow, you're only like 27 and you have all of this experience and all of this potential and all of this skill. And you just seem like you hate fighting, you know, or like the chase Hooper place. Chase Hooper is not an old heavyweight by heavyweight standards, but he seems like he absolutely hates fighting at this point in his career. Chase Hooper. Not Chase Hooper, uh, Chase Sherman. 
Chase Turner. Turner. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was like, I Chase, mean, I know we're talking about Chase Hooper later, but no, 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 no. Sorry, Chase Sherman. <laughs> Chase Sherman. One Chase, another Chase, whatever. Chase, Chase Sherman. He's, you know, he's not an old fighter by heavyweight standards, but he's shower. You know, Jess, Jessica Rose Clark, Jesse Jess, too. Where like, you know, these are fighters who should be in their physical prime still or close to it. And mentally, they have been through the wars so many times that they just don't, you know, that part of their game is no longer present. Yeah, yeah. The the joy that uh, the best tend to experience with fighting, you don't see it in them whatsoever. Yeah. So that is something that I, you know, if you're, if you're Edmund Shabazian's managers, if you're his coaches... You want his team to be thinking about that at this point. Mm-hmm. All right. That brings us to a catchweight bout. Lupita Godinez, Emily Ducote. And, uh, I mean, it's another pro- another case for Ducote where seeing her coming into the UFC was like, oh, you've got a lot of real talent. You also don't fight at the right pace for this level. And this felt like once again an exposing of that that problem. Yeah. Uh, but for Godinez, it's also another step where she's had had yet another fight where she got almost no opportunities to wrestle, and she actually just stuck with her boxing and firmly outstruck somebody for multiple rounds. And that's a great sign for her and her ability to potentially run back up the division. She's she's just got a dog mentality. Like mm-hmm. she doesn't care who it is that she's facing. She's she's gonna go do her best to go up and punch him in the face. And and I have to say do do her best because she's one of the smaller members of the entire roster. But she doesn't care. I mean, you remember what a year or two ago she took that fight with Luana Carolina. Yeah, you know, entire division up, and you know it proved that yes, size does matter because Carolina was easily able to, to keep her at bay, but it also shows uh, the mentality of Luby. She's, she's going to do what it is that she needs to do to win. And, you know, sometimes it's not going to work, but more often than not with that attitude, it will. Yeah. And she's also just, you know, like I said, she's getting to the place where in the Carolina win in the Angela Hill fight, she had, those were both bouts where she started out really well. Yep. And she just didn't get to wrestle at all. And she lost confidence in herself with the lack of wrestling because that's always a big part of her game is being able to do everything, more or less. Mm-hmm. It was a big problem against Penny, too, where she was like, oh, I'm not comfortable grappling with you. I can't take you down. That means I just have to have a kickboxing match. She, like, she lost a kickboxing match to Jessica Penny, basically. <laughs> yeah. And now we're seeing with. Calvillo and with Ducote fights where she's getting to spend all the whole fight on the feet and she's just hanging in and she's staying tough and she's doubling down. Like she lost the second round to Ducote. Ducote actually stepped it up, put her foot on the gas and did had the kind of output she needed to compete. But then round three comes around and Calvillo or, and uh, Godinez is just right back there and being like, okay, no, I'll ramp back up. I'm coming right back with more and more offense. You've got to meet my pace again. And Dakota couldn't. So exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, she's she's got the uh, it's not just the mentality. It's it's that uh, ability to to fight through exhaustion. Yeah. Because you, know? um, you could tell she was tired in the third, even as she was out working to Cody. Mm-hmm. Like it, it looked like Cody had more in reserve, but she just she wasn't using it. Whereas yeah. Loopy said, I don't care. I'm, I, I, she wanted to win more. Yeah. Bottom line. And, uh, you know, it's a great look for her going forward. I'd love to see her back up at the edges of the top 15, you know, fight. I mean, she could fight somebody like Luana Pinheiro. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, otherwise you're looking like Corey McKenna or somebody like that. You know, just somebody on the, firmly on the rise. I what I thought would have been smart for her would have been to to call out Michelle Watterson. Sure. Watterson looks like she's in decline, but she still has enough name value. And so it's like, hey, jump on her while, you know, she, she's yeah. still around. That's it. If you're if you're Lupita Godinez, that is absolutely the fight you call for. Yeah. Yeah. But she passed on it. And I I, 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 I hate when fighters pass up those types of opportunities, but so often they do. And I, well, I'll fight yeah. whoever they do. They they want to be known for being easy to deal with. They want to be known for being the person that the UFC, you know, for some fighters, like for Angela Hill, that's worked over the years. For uh, Donald Cerrone, that worked for, you know, and I think Godinez wants to see herself in that mold. She's certainly fought a lot already in her career. Absolutely. Uh, and so she just wants to be that kind of always in the gym, always ready to get a call put me in with anybody, keep me getting paid kind of fighter. And, you know, that might, uh, I don't know that that, you know, the problem with that kind of, that kind of mentality is that it usually doesn't result in somebody ever getting a title shot. We've recently seen uh, Jacare, even a fighter as great as him, a former strike force champion lament that he had that mentality in the prime of his career. Uh, where he was like, yeah, my coaches, you know, the gym was kind of more tailored towards Anderson Silva and like keeping focus on him. And I was just in the mindset of like, oh, okay, I'll just take fights. My coaches were like, yeah, we'll just keep you fighting, get you, you know, out there as much as we can. And he's like, I should have realized I should have gone off on my own, got a new camp and been more particular when I was at the in the peak of my career and had the opportunity to really fight for big money. Because then, you know, suddenly you're, you're in your 40s and you never got those big money fights. You know, and the, the thing for me, you know, like if that is Loopy's mentality, and I, I 100% believe it is, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, well, I, I'd like to fight this person, but, you know, if you can't make yeah. that happen, I'm still game for whoever, you know, yeah. that's all you no. need to do. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And mostly as fans, we watch, we watch. You call out a name, even if it's a even if it's a name that can't fight you, you know, it's just it's something that makes us remember. Oh yeah, this person has an idea, you know. Even uh, who was it that called out Patty Pimblett recently? I can't remember who it was. Uh, this is everybody. not proving my point. Hmm? Everybody. Yeah, uh, somebody <laughs> on. I think it was the last card, or maybe it was two cards ago. I think it was UFC 288, and it was Matt Frivola. That's right. It was Matt Frivola yes. called out Patty yep. Pimblett. Yes, he did. So, uh, and, and I was like, yeah, that's a cool fight. I'd like to see that fight. Pimblett's got an, an ankle injury. He's not going to be fighting for the rest of the year. 
so I don't know that you're going to make that fight happen, but it keeps you in keeps you in the discourse. It keeps people talking about you. It keeps art, people writing about you. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Like you, you got to you got to have ideas. Agreed. Uh, all right. That brings us speaking of a fighter who had a lot of ideas, <laughs> but no but no call out. Joaquin Buckley, Andre Fialho. And um, this is, so first of all, first and foremost, I missed it live, I think. They said on the broadcast that it was a headbutt, but somebody else said it was an eye poke. Do you know what it was that he hit Fialho with right before the knockout? I'm, I'm with you. I uh, was dealing with my daughter at that moment. Ah. So I missed the uh, what it was. It, I assumed it was an eye poke, but I, you know, that's an assumption. So the broadcast team had said it was a headbutt, but that was more like a, oh, we didn't see what happened. I think that was a headbutt because the way they clashed yes. right before then looked like something where uh, Buckley could have really easily stepped in and smacked Fialho right in the chin with his forehead. Yeah. Right. yeah. That was what I thought I saw. I'm going to go with that's what it was. It doesn't really matter. The point was, Fialho looked like he got stung pretty hard by a foul. Mm -hmm. And he waved it off and was like, no, I'm ready to go again. And I think in retrospect, we can say that that was a terrible decision. Yes. Because he was not at all ready for the head kick that immediately followed that restart. And and we'll be able to contrast that type of decision making a little later with uh, with Slava Claus. But mm -hmm. I I agree 100 percent that, you know, this mentality of no, 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 I'm good. I I don't need nothing. You know, that ah, it it costs fighters more often than not, I think. Yeah. I mean, and I get to like there is a legitimate case to be made, especially as as armchair quarterbacks here um, that. For, for fighters, you're there in the moment. You, uh, you know, we we hear a lot too about like how much anxiety there is to, that goes into fighting and things like that. You're there in the moment. You've worked yourself up to this point. You're flowing. Everything is, you know, you're finally in. You're you're locked in on the fight, and something happens. And the last thing you want to do is take five minutes to sit there and start thinking about everything again. And right. let yourself get cold and let yourself start thinking, like, oh, how's this going? Or am I wondering what, what, what happened out there? What's, what's going on here? How much? And, and not to know? mention the fact, too, that if, if you've got the gas down on somebody and they're, and they're gassing, yeah. you know, that's another reason why they would want to continue to do that. But that, that didn't appear to be the case here. You know, no. Buckley was fresh. I, I, if there was any reason I could see that, uh, Fialho wouldn't have wanted to take more time. It's that in the minutes leading up to that, he had started to find Buckley's timing. And he was landing some good, solid counters when Buckley would step in. But even before, that was like end around one, beginning around two when that happened. Middle around two, Buckley started just turning up the volume a little more. So even that was kind of going away in the lead up to that moment. It's one of those things, like I say, it's hindsight armchair quarterbacking. We can be like, man, that was a mistake. You shouldn't have jumped right back in there. But in the, in the moment I can see why 
there there are plenty of reasons that a fighter might want to be like, no, 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 no. I don't I don't want to get cold. I don't want to start wondering if I'm losing this fight or not. I just need to get locked back in yeah. and try and pick up right where I was. Um ended up though with a really cool knockout for Buckley, another addition to his highlight reel, an already long highlight reel. And uh, he may not have had a name to call out. Well, he did. It just wasn't an, a fighter that is a fighting. <laughs> he called out Logan Paul and told him that he, he that Logan Paul needs to hit him with the sponsorship with his prime drink. And um, that wasn't the only thing he called out either. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to repeat all of his callouts. Um, I will just say he pulled a Booker T. No, no, I'm not even going to say go that. I'm just going to say, you know what? He had a lot to say. And uh, the, you know, the only the only thing is, that unfortunately for Buckley, is I think the UFC has been, I mean, I know that, like, some fighters have been able to get monster sponsorships and stuff like that. So maybe there's a split on this. But I also remember the whole Skinny Bets fiasco where every fighter was shouting out skinny bets after their fights for like three or four months, if you remember that. And the UFC just took over that sponsorship. And they were like, oh, no, no, you can sponsor us as a property, but not fighters as individuals. And, you know calling out trying to get a UFC sponsor to sponsor you as an individual, it might be that the UFC is just closing that avenue for most of those kinds of options, unfortunately. Well, the other thing, too, you know, he, he's talking about Logan Paul, and, you know, I I would love to see Logan Paul be able to uh, to sponsor him, but again, I, I don't think that's something that the UFC is going to, to give the thumbs up to, uh, given the animosity between uh, the organization and Paul. No, 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 no. They, that's with Logan. It's there's nothing there. That's only Jake. Logan, he Prime is already a UFC sponsor. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I missed that one. Yep. So that's already oh, like that's why he's calling for it. Is like Prime Prime energy drinks are all over the UFC. Why don't you sponsor a fighter? And I just, yeah, and I just remembered with the uh, Endeavor merger with WWE, he's with them. So, yep, yep, yep. Yep. I should have put two and two together. It's Jake Paul and Dana White that have all the animosity. Logan Paul is the the one doing just more, like, businessy stuff. Yep, yep. So. Yep. Anyway. Uh, But we got to get Joaquin Buckley versus Chaos Williams, right? Oh yeah, no, I would absolutely love to see that. Um, again, it, it, another wasted opportunity. There's so many fights that I would love to see him with, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did after the fights were over in the posts uh, post fight media scrums. He called for a rematch with uh, Kevin Holland. Which uh, I I mean I'd be fine. I would love to. I would watch it, but it's yeah. I've seen that fight. I want. Yeah. I, I want to see you fight Jeremiah Wells. I want to see you fight Chaos Williams. I want to see you fight, uh, you know, Michelle Pereira. I want to see you fight. Hell, I want to see you fight Ian Gary. You know. Yeah. Uh, 
I want to see fun. Rodriguez would be fun. Um, yeah. Uh, Matt Semmelsberger. That seems yeah. like a fight that's not out of reach for him right now next. Yeah, Semmelsberger's coming off a loss. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I, I, I don't need to see a rematch of the Kevin Holland fight. I will watch Kevin Holland, and I will watch Joaquin Buckley in any fight. So if they fought five times, I would watch five times. It's just, you know, it's not going to be the first thing on the tip of my tongue. And if I remember right, Holland's got a fight scheduled anyway. I can't remember who, but... Uh, does he? Kevin Holland. There it is. Chiesa. Chiesa, that's right. Okay. Which, yeah, that's fine, I guess. I'm not I'm not more thrilled about that fight. There are other... I, I would have loved to see... I would have actually loved to see Kevin Holland versus Ian Gary. I think that would have been a thriller. Uh, yeah, but you know what? It's... It, I will admit it's a fight that makes sense for Holland for his progression. So sure. we'll see it. We'll see it. Anyway. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Carlos Diego Ferreira, Michael Johnson, and sort of a preview of Dern Hill because you're like, oh, well, you know, if Ferreira is going to win this, he's going to tie Johnson up. He's going to slow him down. He's going to submit him. And uh, Johnson will outstrike him if it stays standing. And Johnson, I mean, that was what we saw for around in a minute was Johnson just on his bike countering every time uh, Ferreira stepped in on anything, landing lots of one twos, landing, working his jab, just being faster, being slicker. And uh, Ferreira got really not much done at all until he sat down on one wild overhand right that Johnson, it came after a left hand and Johnson slipped the left hand away. He's, he's had a habit of doing this for a long time where he'll like slip, he, he'll slip a punch by like turning sideways, his whole body sideways and sliding back. And when the right hand came over the top, he just wasn't looking at it mm -hmm. at all. And it absolutely clubbed him. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I haven't seen somebody knocked out that cold in years. Mm -hmm. You know, this was more than, more than Brendan Schaub chasing butterflies. Like you, Michael Johnson was locked. Yes. This was this was rigor mortis. Yeah, yeah, um, Terry Adam. Uh, yeah. After Barbosa. Yeah. Yeah. This was that kind of knockout. Feet crossed, hands just frozen. I mean, it was brutal. You know, and and the thing is, like, there's a script with Johnson at this point. Yeah. He comes out, he has a fantastic looking first round where he's out out working his opponent on the feet, getting his hands moving, looks great. And then come the second round, he he does something dumb or whatever, uh, either gets himself submitted or takes himself out of the fight and ends up costing himself a win that he probably should have had. Yeah, it's just amazing how many different ways it can happen. Yes, but this this wasn't this wasn't that. Like he was fighting yeah. the fight that he was supposed to fight. Yeah. It he, was. 
he just got caught. He didn't necessarily do anything dumb. It was just a a habit that he's had with regards to the, you know, like you said, he pulls out and Fajera, I would say, obviously did his, his homework with his film study or, or his coaches did. He was talking about them. Yeah. But yeah, no, Johnson didn't give the fight away. He didn't. Yeah. Just... All right. Well, let's, let's move on. We got, we got a lot more to cover and uh, we've already burned a lot of time. We got Slav Borshov against Hayasar Mahashate. Uh, this was going to be a slugfest all the time, all the way through. Yes. It absolutely ended up being one. And it was really Borshov's, uh, I, I would say, his shot selection and his creativity that ended up being the difference. Because, uh, yeah. you know. He was the more active fighter. He was working... Uh, Mahashate over it to all levels, you know. Yeah, that's the body, everything. That's really the thing is that I think I mean he was always going to be the more active fighter. Mahashate loves to sit on counters, loves to wait on counter right hands. He was never going to lead. It was just a question of could he catch Borshov hard enough to knock him out. And he caught him with some really good shots. Oh yeah, but Borshov kicking the legs so much and hitting to the body so much clearly got in Mahashate's head, clearly got him thinking about all the different ways he could be hurt, so that when Borshov started targeting his head out of tie-ups and into tie-ups and in tight, Mahashate, he couldn't just focus on protecting himself there. His, his his, His focus had to be everywhere. And he started getting really tagged up in the second round, for that lack of uh, that inability to to focus his defense on just one thing, mm-hmm. and it, it broke him, and it was beautiful KO from Borshov. Beautiful performance. Yeah, no, uh, and and you know, like uh, we we mentioned earlier with uh, um, Fialo jumping right back into the fight, Borshev took his time after yeah. uh, that eye poke, made sure that he was uh, recovered mentally, you know, he's settled himself, all that fun stuff before he jumped back in there. And even though he said that he could not see out of that eye in between rounds, you know, that that knockout, even that more impressive, he still did what he needed to do. Yep. Great performance from him. Tough outing for Mahashate. Uh, you know, unfortunately finding himself really being the victim of being a bit of a one trick pony when he got to the UFC, and getting some matchups that are have been really hard on him. That uh, brings us to Karolina Kovalkiewicz against Vanessa Demopoulos. And this is the best that Kovalkiewicz has looked since 2017 and, like, uh, Jody Escabel, I would say. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. You you could maybe even just you, you could go back one further and say 2016 in her fight against Joanna Janjacek, where she really looked like a title challenger getting into that fight, and she had a fun hard fight with Joanna that was a lot of fun to watch, even if it wasn't one that she came close to winning. Yeah, everything since that Andrade knockout really uh, in 2018 has had Kovalkiewicz looking unconfident, flighty, unwilling to bite down and march forward in the ways that typified her early career. 
and even getting her wins over Felice Herrig and Silvana Gomez Juarez, they weren't pretty solid classic Kovalevich wins. They were you could see her clearly convincing herself to have the have the fight that she was supposed to have. This was she just looked confident out there. Exactly. She was she was watching Demopolis all the time. None of the eyes closed entering the pocket that she had against uh, Gomez Juarez. And she just marched Demopolis down all round every uh, every round and took the fight from her. This is uh, something that Shabazian's team should look at. Yeah. Um, you know, because they need to, to build him up because that's what uh, Kovalkiewicz's uh, new team did. You know, after she lost to Andrade, she... She did get a step down in competition in terms of Andrade, but it wasn't a huge step. She went down to uh, Michelle Watterson, Alexa Grasso, Yang Jianan. And by the time she got to Jessica Benet, who was a legit step down, her confidence was completely shattered. Like yeah. you said, she just, she was entering pockets with her eyes closed and shit like that. She did not look good. And it, it, like you said, her confidence was finally there. She was convincing herself in the last two wins she was convinced in this fight. Yeah. She looked like a million bucks. Yeah. This is, this is the fighter that uh, marched her way to a title shot at one point. I don't, the division's changed a lot since then. I'm not oh, yeah. saying that she's going to march herself right back to a title shot. No, but I would say that a rematch against Michelle Watterson wouldn't be a bad idea. Potentially, you know, I, I think that's a, a, a fight that makes perfect sense. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, how Watterson, I don't want to say Watterson's checked out, but you know, she's Watterson is definitely in the twilight years of her career and knows, seems to know that she's not going to be a contender. She seems like she's happy to go out there and have fun fights. And, you know, if she doesn't win them, she doesn't win them. Yeah. But, you know, and uh, I, you know, happy to see this with Koval Kajovic. She looks like she had some fun out there tonight. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if if she if uh, Watterson's a fight that she thinks she would have fun with, let, let's book that, please. That would be a great yeah. fight to watch. Uh, otherwise, too, you know, they could do somebody like Godinez against Kovalkiewicz if they, you know, I, I don't like to match people up off the same card, but you I, I know, the same way. But yeah, it 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 does make sense. It does. All right, uh, that brings us to a. Another catchweight bout, Gilbert Urbina against Orion Kosi. Kosi uh, coming in, in having missed weight, despite Gilbert Urbina looking like half a head taller than him in this fight. And uh, Urbina looked great, better than ever. Looked determined, looked like he wasn't gassing like he has so often in the past. And looked sharp. This was a infinitely better Gilbert Urbina than I've ever seen on any of his past fight footage. Yeah, no, nah, he. Uh, it's been what two years, almost yeah. two years since we've seen him. So it, it was one of those deals where, okay, I I'm going to assume at his age that he's been spending this time improving because uh, he's 27 now. So that means we saw him yeah. when he was 25. More than likely, he's going to look better than what he was and. His opponent, you know, I, I don't want to crap on the Kosi brothers, but I felt like they were signed more because it was a feel-good story 
than because they were actual legit UFC talents. Uh, well, I mean, that, oh, that's, that's quite a bit of we're just sign, we're, we're, we're signing this person because it's fun contender series stuff. And, uh, you know, we've seen that they, they sign pretty much anybody these days. I, I, I don't disagree with you. There are a lot of signings like that, you know, but like, yeah. you know, for instance, with Mahishate, he's somebody I feel like they signed too soon. Yeah. Um, he's somebody I think that could become one, but I don't know if he's there yet. And like you said, it, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the Kosi brothers, I was always kind of leery about. And sure. So even though Urbina looked fantastic, I almost feel like it's necessary to put an asterisk next to it and say, okay, he looked great. Maybe be Orion Kosi. I, I want to reserve judgment about how awesome Urbina is until we see him fight his next opponent. Sure. I'm not saying that he's suddenly a contender now, but I will say oh, I understand that. It's, it's not like Gilbert Urbina was fighting the best guys before this, you know, like uh, Sean Brady's pretty good. He, yeah. Well, he didn't beat Sean Brady. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Um, and in those fights, even the ones he won, he did not look like he was capable of of physically dominating much of his competition. I'll grant you that. And out here, he looked very physically dominant against Orion Kosi. Yeah, I'll grant you that. Um, so yeah, solid win for him. Doesn't say much, but he got the win. All right, that brings us to a heavyweight bout: Rodrigo Nascimento, Ilir Latifi. Um, that might have happened. <laughs> yeah, I picked Alir Latifi to win an incredibly ugly grinding fight with Nascimento. Instead, Nascimento won an incredibly slow-paced striking bout with Alir Latifi and only just barely at that point. Yeah, he he had the reach advantage. That was the big key to him because he was able to keep yep. Latifi at bay for, for a good chunk of the fight. Um, Latifi found some success when he was able to get inside, scored a couple of takedowns, but wasn't enough. Yep. Nothing to say. All right. And that brings us to a lightweight bout. Chase Hooper, Nick Fiore, and um, yeah, solid showing for Hooper. Not a not a not a fight to give you any real new insight on Hooper as a like, oh, this is a kid who's clearly fixed his problems. But a great reminder that when Hooper gets his kind of fight, he is a very dangerous and very dominant fighter. He's a lot like Andrew Han- or Anthony Hernandez, rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you no, know? he he just he doesn't have any quit in him. Um, no, and the pace, you know, he's always pushed a hard pace. But I think the fact that he's not cutting those extra ten pounds down to featherweight, you know, now yeah, he looked healthier and. It was absolutely an insane pace that he pushed on Fiore in this fight. Yep. And I definitely, I, I was thinking all week that the move to lightweight was really a good idea for him. And it looked, that did look like a good idea. And it's probably a good idea for his chin, too, because it's still straight up in the air and it is still going to get checked. And uh, the more weight he cuts, the worse that that is going to be for him. So yeah. cutting, cutting less weight and, uh, you know, fighting face first, just flinging yourself at your opponent is if you're going to have that style, you might as well be up the division. So a a decent reminder that he can be a lot of fun. Uh, At some point they need to book a fight with between him and Jordan. Leave it. I know leave it's already booked right now, but uh, that, that would seem like a pretty natural idea. 
I had never thought of that before. I think largely because Hooper had been at featherweight, but yeah. now that you said it, oh, you're absolutely right. That is like the most need to make fight the UFC has at this point. It would just yeah. be so delightfully awkward. All right. Uh, coming here towards the end, Natalia Silva, Victoria Leonardo. The UFC absolutely just set Leonardo up for a vicious shit kicking. And that's what she got. This was... It's, it's weird because, like, Leonardo and Silva, they both have had plenty of experience out on the regionals before they got to the UFC. They both have had some struggles in the UFC. There's nothing in their records that just, that just says on paper, obviously, oh, don't book this fight. But any one minute of tape study between this was an obvious, obvious red flag. This is not a fight that should have been booked. No, not at all. That it, I, As soon as I saw that it was booked, I, it, that's exactly what I said. What the hell? Why? No, 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 don't do that. But, you know, it, it happened and it played out very much like we expected it to. Yeah. Silva is a buzzsaw that has had some struggles in the past, but has tightened up her game a lot as she's gotten more experience and she is a hell of a d- dynamic athlete. She still carries her chin a little high. She settled for having a lot of 50, 50 exchanges with Leonardo in the brief time that this fight lasted, but she's also got the speed and power to make good on those exchanges. And it did not take many clean shots for her to land for her to have hurt Leonardo badly enough that this fight I mean, it didn't. It, yeah, it was just it was one of those things where the doc the, or the ref just had to step in and stop it because I mean, I, I don't know if Leonardo's jaw broke or somebody else suggested that, like, she may have knocked a tooth into through her cheek or something like that. But it was all bad news. It was just one, you know somebody who's not really a good enough athlete to compete at this level against somebody who could, if with the right seasoning and training, be a top level competitor at this level. Yeah. And you know, that's not to say there's not a home for somebody like Leonardo on the UFC. Like she is ideal to, to test whether or not, okay, did we bring somebody in here too soon? Sure. Yeah. Leonardo at the bottom of the division. Exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. But we already know that Silva belongs. So yeah. there, there was no reason to book this fight. Yeah. Um, oh, and I was wrong that Silva had had some struggles in the UFC. She has not. She's 3-0 and right now. And uh, yeah, at this point... Her struggles were pre-UFC. Pre-UFC, and, UFC, you know, The yeah. fact that it took, what, two years or so for her to make her UFC debut after she was signed, it may not yeah. be that long, but it, there was a long delay. They, and they apparently they tried to make this her debut back in 2021. So this was a fight that they were rebooking that both fighters had already agreed to. But in the meantime, Leonardo had lost two of her three UFC bouts and uh, Silva had won two. So, yeah, no, uh, just, just Silva, a weird. Yeah, like somebody like Tracy Cortez makes sense, not Victoria Leonardo. Yeah, I mean, Tracy Cortez, Antonina Shevchenko. Yeah. Uh, uh, even Casey O'Neill, Miranda Maverick. 
Sure. Somebody, you know, right up in that area, getting to the edges of the top 15, an experienced fighter. Yeah. Make that happen. We want to see it. Uh, Silva is a ton of fun. All right. Last bout on the card, Themba Garimbo, Takashi Sato, and uh, yes, went just about the way I thought it would, which is much much like Mahashate, Sato is another fighter where it's just you. It is really harder than ever in the UFC to be the fighter that counter punches and nothing else, mm-hmm. because there's the game is so about pace anymore. So about setting the tempo, fighters are skilled enough that they are usually not going to walk into one shot that knocks them out. And Emba Garimbo, if he got to lead all the time, he just bombed on Sada with big wild overhands, jumped on him with takedowns, made the fight hell on him, and took over and had a pretty decent showing for a guy with a pretty remarkably limited game plan. Well, I think the thing with Garimbo is he, he just doesn't quit. You know, he's yeah, like, yeah. there were a couple of uh, instances in the fight where uh, Sato ended up on top of him on the mat. Mm-hmm. Garimbo, he, he, he bucked, he's moved, he's, you know, whatever he needed to do to, in order to complete the sweep. And he did it. And yeah. so it was, it was uh, just a simple case of Garimbo refusing to be at work. And, um, you know, like you said, Sato's kind of a one-note uh, fighter with the, with his countering, and and even then, you know, I'm still not sold on his uh, on his power because the the two yeah. people that he did beat in the UFC was uh, uh, long past his prime, Ben Saunders. You know, and as much as we all love Saunders, his chin yeah. was pretty much done by then, and and Jason Witt's notoriously poor chin as well. So yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I you know, it's. You do have to be a huge power puncher, but even then for huge power punchers, like more and more these days, you have to be leading. You have to be, if you're, even if you're going to be a counter puncher, you tend to have to be leading and setting people up with things or pressuring, you know, making them, forcing them into situations where they have only a couple options to make and those options lead right into the, th- the punches you want to throw or the yeah. strikes you want to throw. Just being out in open space and sort of 50-50, oh, I'll wait for you to throw and then I'll hit you. It is it, it is a rougher proposition than it ever was. Agreed. So, rough outing for Silva, good win for Garimbo, and uh, pro- or rough outing, rough outing for Sato, rather. Good outing for Garimbo. Probably the last time we see Sato in the UFC, I would I would imagine. I think so, too. All right. On that note, if you're uh, not a Substack subscriber, a paying Substack subscriber, we'll sign off. And for those of you who do subscribe to our Substack, we've got a little extra bonus content coming right at you in just a moment. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast Network production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, 
iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Google Podcasts, MusicBee, RSS Radio, IMDb, and now also found in your app store on apps such as Downcast, the podcast app, iCatcher, PodCruncher, Podbean, and more. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including the Care Don't Care Podcast, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the 6th Round Post Fight Show, Crooklyn's Corner, the 6th Round Retro, the Show Money Podcast, the MMA Depressed Us, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, and the return of the MMA Bunker. <laughs> 